There we go. How are you? All right, I'm doing great, Jesse. How are you? Good. Um, and uh, Nick still still does it feels under the weather. Yeah, he uh, he's having sickness. That's right. Bummer. Yeah, <laughs> that's the worst. Well, both you and he have a have a podcast. So for uh, people who have never heard of you, what's your what's your best pitch for what the podcast is and why they should listen? Great, yeah, great question. So colloquium um, is what it's called. So colloquium is a Latin word for conversation. And I think in my experience, people don't really have that good of conversation. Um, I think a lot of times due to uh, being inundated with social media and technology, I think we've really lost the art of conversation. Um, so I think one of the things we desire to do with our podcast is to spark transformative conversation. Um, so we talk about topics that are relevant to the church, to the world, and we come at it from a Catholic perspective, but we might talk about art or beauty or nakedness as an episode. Um, and just yeah, really reflect on them and bring, I think, some of the skills we've learned from being missionaries um, about conversation. And we really want to invite people to be a part of the conversation, too. So it's not just us having a conversation, but it's you getting inspired by maybe something you heard on it and wanting to share that with your friends as well and starting transformative conversations in your communities as well. And you started that last summer, so about like six months ago? Yeah, so I think back last April of 2020, um, sure. it was it was kind of a COVID COVID project a little yeah. bit um, under lockdown, and it was kind of something that we we figured we'd give a shot and see how it was. And after a few episodes, we got really really good feedback of people that really enjoyed it, and um, there's just bearing fruit in their lives and people that wanted to talk about topics that we were bringing up on the podcast, and so that really motivated us to keep going. And it's something that, you know, I've said time and time again, we just really enjoyed doing it. Like I would just do it just to have a conversation with, with Nick. Definitely, and, definitely. Um, the fact that other people like that and want to join in, I think it's just a blessing, so. What, what is that feedback? Yeah, so um, it's hard. A podcast is an interesting platform because you don't know all of your listeners, right? Sure, definitely. And they don't choose to email you or reach out in any way, which most don't. Right. You don't know how they're receiving it, right? Um, so most of the feedback we get, I would say, is from people we know or mm -hmm. kind of secondhand from people we know who um, talk to somebody who liked an right. episode or something. But usually it's something about, hey, this episode in particular. So I had a friend who I think listened to the masculinity one and called me afterwards and just really wanted to talk through some of the ideas that came up in that. Um, and so it's, it's something we see the fruit, I think more so in our local community than we do in um, the communities we don't the know. The actual have, reach that you get. Right, I mean, the data says we have listeners in like 14 countries, but- That's great. I don't know people in 14 countries, so. Right. And I haven't heard from people in 14 countries. So it's, it's a weird platform where you don't really hear back from everybody, but I think we're still trying to figure out how to engage our audience a little sure. bit. Sure. And a quick soundbite of the reason you, the reason you started this. 
Yeah. Um, I think to spark transformative conversation um, would be that in a nutshell, the reason. Yeah, for it. definitely. And so the background is both you and Nick, but you have, you have your producer too. Um, there it's your, you've got a, th a team of three with you in it who who makes it. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's me and Nick and Dan. So Dan Fox was, you know, our producer, he still works with us a little bit, but he's been off in DC actually. So, okay. um, I've been editing more of the recent ones, but right. yeah. So it was the three of us and, and really sparked from conversations that the three of us had Nick, Dan and I, um, and we're having anyway and wanted to be sure. able, especially during COVID to reach a, a broader audience and a broader community. But yeah, Nick and I actually go back to um, childhood. Um, we grew up in adjacent neighborhoods and played. I never played sports with him, but he was a little older and played with my brother. And so we've known each other for a while, but not well. Sure. Um, when I moved back to Huntsville a couple of years ago. Uh, we really reconnected and um, yeah, really just, I think our friendship became a, a spark for just kind of local community around us um, and really getting stuff started in terms of a men's group we started and just really building local community. And one of the things we noticed is that I think through our time and focus, we've developed the ability to really start good conversations. Um, and I think especially sometimes I find it's particularly in, you know, we live in Huntsville, Alabama, which is an engineering town and engineers. Um, I don't know how many engineers, you know, but they tend to be pretty introverted um, and sometimes struggle with starting conversations. And so I think it's something that has been a, a natural ability that we've had that I think we desire to, to share with others. And that, you know, looks like sometimes asking good questions um, and, bringing up those topics and sometimes it means sharing a little bit of yourself as well um because vulnerability breeds vulnerability definitely um, and sometimes you have to be the one to start that um and especially in a culture where um it's not natural and it's it's like that a lot of places you know that's right. not an engineer thing um, right i think it's something that you know i saw with students i worked with in focus that was not natural for them either but I think over time, asking good questions and sharing a little bit of yourself, I think can go a long way. So let's do that. Let's, let's start that. You both talk about, uh, you talk about both you and Nick were focused missionaries. Yeah. What's a, what's a, like a quick uh, summary of your experience? In focus. In focus. Yeah, gosh, what a whirlwind of uh, yeah. two years for me. Um, so I served in, in Colorado at Colorado State University. And so FOCUS, um, you know, for I don't know how familiar you are with FOCUS and their model, but work with college students. So I think NET worked with high school. Sure, primarily. definitely. Um, FOCUS was, was college-oriented. And so our mission was ultimately discipleship. So helping students to become discipleships, disciples of Christ and also evangelization. So becoming a disciple means that, you know, we are baptized. When we're baptized, we're baptized as missionary disciples of Christ. And I think that's a calling that um, we've really lost the sense of in the church. But one thing that focus is really, I think, trying to 
to just reinvigorate people on that we are called to be missionary disciples by virtue of our baptism. So that means working with students and challenging them in their faith. And one of those challenges is actually challenging them to fulfill the Great Commission, the Great Commission of Christ in Matthew 28, to go make disciples of all nations. Um, so when we work with students, we challenge them to develop a daily prayer life. We challenge them to cultivate virtues in their life. But part of that challenge is also reaching out to those in your life who need to know Christ. Um, and I know for me, when I was a student, that was incredibly impactful is when I realized that my faith wasn't just about my faith, but it was about bringing others into relationship with Christ. That for me is when the adventure began. Um, and just the adventure of getting to watch somebody else come to know Christ um, and to know relationship with Christ. It's, I think, potentially the one joy greater than knowing Christ yourself is to watch somebody else come to relationship with Christ. So I think that's what focus is all about. Um, we do we would do that through Bible study. So small groups were um, one of our main apostolates. And then also one-on-one -on -one, uh, discipleship, um, which is kind of like a mentorship, but it's walking with a student and challenging them in those ways. I actually think they've gone more recently to a more group discipleship model, um, which I'd be really interested in, in hearing more about how that's worked out. Um, but I think one of the things they found is that naturally, um, I think particularly for college age, a, a group setting for discipleship provided um, a lot of fruit or bore a lot of fruit because students can then hold each other accountable. Um, and they're not just held accountable by this one person, but they're growing together, they're walking together and holding each other accountable. Um, so on a, you know, any given day on campus, that would go, um, typically I'd spend any day meeting up one-on-one -on -one with students, um, walking around campus, meeting new people, inviting them to things. Um, and then we would usually, most evenings, we'd have some event going on at our campus ministry. Um, and so there was, it was, there was a lot going on, um, a lot of events, a lot of one-on-one -on -one stuff. You know, we were on a campus with 30,000 people. So, you know, that's 30,000 souls that ultimately need to hear the gospel. And so it's, right. in a way, it's hard to, uh, to kind of create boundaries for yourself, right? Because you can stay up at night thinking about all 30,000 of them, right. um, or you can focus on, you know, the, the people that the Lord has put in your life that day. Um, and I found that was one of the most fruitful things. It's just to focus on um, those souls that the Lord has entrusted to me today. Great. Perfect. I love it. And I think that's a really great transition because I had uh, I had a form for what I wanted to hopefully try and talk about some, some topics. Yeah. I'm uh, a Net Ministries alum which right. ministers to middle schoolers and high schoolers in a, a slightly different model where our focus, my focus was as, uh, as, as someone on a team that went around the nation to put on retreats right. for middle schoolers and high schoolers. And so we would go all over, all over the country and our model for, for our part was more of like we just light a match um, and drop it and then move right. on to the next uh, parish or school yeah. <laughs> just, and like allow God. No to, responsibility. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whatever right? happens, happens. <laughs> I mean, it's like up to God. And it's, yeah. it's uh, you don't get to see that fruit, but even, mm-hmm. uh, even in the retreats that we did, we did anything from like two and a half hours to like a weekend retreat. And even in those really short uh, retreats, there was like the spirit showed up and it's that format allows for a particular type of discipleship or in the to support discipleship because you know and they know that you will never see them again until heaven right and so that that breeds that type of vulnerability yeah. um, that's that, that you may not get with someone that. Uh, disciples you throughout a year or two years so it 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 brings with it different fruits as well as different challenges but uh or it will and at the end of the the retreat one on all of our most of our retreats um we would talk about like a takeaway so you had this like mountaintop experience in the in uh, on retreat um, mm-hmm. But like faith is not something that just happens in uh, on retreat or right. one hour a week, um, but it is something that informs the rest of your life. And so we talk about these these four tools: prayer, sacraments, service, and fellowship. Mm-hmm. What what I think would be interesting to get your perspective on is as an alum of someone who does ministry. To, to go and just do like a brief survey, uh, a drive-by of all of those, those ideas. So what's, as someone who was a, well, was a missionary, and now you are not officially uh, a missionary as, as your, your job title, right. you are a missionary as in you're a Christian and a Catholic. Right. What's the, what's the, what is it? What's the picture look like? What comes to your mind when you think of that first one, prayer? Prayer. Yeah, well, Jesse, so I'm a firm believer that if there's one thing that I could get, you know, Joe Schmo, Catholic, Christian, right, wants to grow in his faith. There's one thing he could do to grow in his faith. I would tell him to start praying for at least 20 minutes every day. Um, Sitting down in mental prayer hopefully in front of, I mean, ideally in front of adoration, if possible, with the Blessed Sacrament, um, at least in a church or a chapel um, or in some sacred space set up in your room, um, and spend time with God. And that looks like, you know, I think sometimes we have this idea of prayer as like saying my prayers, you know, okay, 10 Our Fathers, 10 Hail Marys, and and that's my prayer time, right? But actually sitting and being present with God is the most important thing. And what goes on during that time, if you pray a rosary, if you just sit and think about God, um, that's going to be the most important time you spend every day. Um, So I think prayer for a missionary, for somebody living, trying to live mission in any any form of like any um, area of life, right? I think prayer is absolutely number one. That's why focus required a holy hour for their missionaries every day. And I believe Nett probably did something similar. Um, right. We, we have, we, yeah, we have a contractual um, half an hour um, a- every day yeah. because um, it, there, there was that there, we, there was that much amount of flexibility in our, in our schedule. So. Right. 
Right. That's, I mean, and that's awesome. I mean, if you're part of a religious order too, like, you know, you're going off to, to join the novitiate with a religious order, right? That's right. going to be a part, that's a staple of your day. It's a non-negotiable, right? Absolutely. It's the first thing you, you pencil into your schedule. And um, I think we've lost that in the church. I think we've lost the sense of the importance of that. I mean, a lot of people who, who know that mass is important, they might try to go to daily mass, but they're not engaging in in a life of mental prayer. And that's important because that's where we come to know Jesus as our friend, um, as our lover. Um, that's where we develop an intimate relationship with our God who desires intimacy with us. Um, so that's what prayer is for me and, and what I think it should be for everybody really. Right, perfect, I love it. It's, this, this is exactly what I, uh, what I wanted to talk about. How yeah. do you, how do you like pivot and sort of like compare and contrast, what are your thoughts ju just um, uh, impromptu on, on sacraments then? Yeah, okay. Um, so that's interesting because that's something I've thought a lot about recently. Um, so sacraments in focus, we went to daily mass as well. Um, and confession, there wasn't a requirement, but um, it was kind of dependent on you and your spiritual director. I usually went, my team, most of us would go probably every two weeks. Um, if and not every and your team was like five, seven? Yeah, yeah. We had six and it varied depending on the year. But Cool. Um, so that was then. Now it's been interesting because, you know, my job, I'm, I'm a high school teacher, which is more or less a nine to five job. And it's I can't exactly make daily mass every day. Um, we have mass once a week as a school. And during the Monday through Friday, that's about all I can really make. Um, so what I've been working on is doing the last few uh, months, I've been trying to go to more Saturday morning masses. Um, so my sacramental participation has been kind of Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday for the mass and then confession, um, try for every other week. Sometimes it comes down to like once a month, I'd say. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think that's one of the reasons why daily mental prayer is so important because the sacraments sometimes, like when it comes to attending mass, not everybody can do that every day. Um, and that's where daily mental prayer can, I think, help keep us connected to the source of grace, to God himself. Um, and so it's something that I think is, is honestly a cross. You know, I wish that I could attend mass, daily mass more um, and receive the Eucharist more frequently. But I think that's also, uh, it's part of the act of life, you know, um, being called to a lay vocation. Um, that's the reality, right? You're not always going to be able to frequent the sacraments daily. But I think having that daily prayer life can help you make the most of the sacraments when you receive them. You know, we always receive grace every time we receive the sacraments, but it's about how are we disposed to receive them. And I think daily prayer disposes us to bear fruit from the grace that we're given. Um, and so I think for, you know, for any average Catholic, I'd say try to get to mass once a week beyond Sunday, right? Go on Sundays and then try to get there once more during the week. I think you'll find you'll grow a lot from just being able to receive the Eucharist um, multiple times a week. And confession, yeah, monthly. I think that's something, Jesse, I think 
our generation, I'm thinking millennials and even probably Gen Z, um, I think is bringing back confession a little bit. I think that the previous generation in the church kind of was like confession once a year, maybe uh, if that, um, even though it's a precept to go once a year. And, you know, when I go to confession, I see like old ladies and I see like young 20 something year olds and teenagers. And so I think that's a really good thing to see that practice um, being reinstated in the church where it always was supposed to be. Um, but I think, yeah, I I think confession monthly is a great we go more than the, the once a year that's the bare minimum it's always uh, it's always a mixed bag when you get to the confession line and you're like oh man there's so many people in front of me and then you realize oh man there's so many people in front of me right right yeah it's 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 a good thing a good problem to have i always take a while to prepare for confession so sure. when there's a big line i'm like okay great it gives me more time to like get in the get in the right mindset but right yeah. And, and receive that, that grace. So to triangulate, how do you, uh, what, what do you think about fellowship now as, as an alum? Yeah. So I'd say fellowship is probably one of the hardest to live out, um, being post missionary life. I mean, I think you can probably attest to that from your time in net when you're in, when you're in college or in any if you're like active in a college ministry or if you're in any missionary apostolate, community is kind of handed to you on a silver platter. Um, when you're in focus, I know Nick and I talk about this all the time. Like it's, you've got, you know, all sorts of missionary gatherings and you spend six weeks together in summer training where you're just praying and hanging out and growing and challenging each other. And then you go off into the real world and you're working a nine to five job and you know, you might have a small group or you might have a, you know, parish event that you go to every now and then, but it's a lot less intentional. Um, you're not always, you're not living with your friends anymore. A lot of the time you're not, um, you're just not in that same environment. And so I think that can be a really challenging thing. Um, that being said, it's always been a priority for me. So I think when I, as soon as I left, focus and, and move back to Huntsville, it was, it was something that I sought out. And that was, you know, through reconnecting with Nick, through reconnecting with a lot of old friends, actually. And one of the things I found when I first moved back is that I just reconnected with a lot of people and was like, hey, like, like, what are you doing? Like, what, what have you been up to? And they're just like, yeah, I'm just kind of working. And, and that's about it. And go home and pet my dog, you know. And Eventually, after like meeting all these people or reconnecting with all these people, Nick and I were kind of talking about starting a men's group. And eventually we decided this is a good idea. We should start something. And I remember like I would talk to these people as I was reconnecting with them, be like, hey, like, so I was thinking about doing this like men's group. Um, would you be interested? They're like, oh my gosh, yes. Like I've had no community. I've had nothing like this. And, and that's exactly what I need. Um, and so one of the things I found is that although it's maybe not fellowship isn't naturally there um, in post-missionary life, young adult world, um, it's, a, it's a desire that's on people's heart. And so one of the things I've seen in, in the Huntsville community that I know you've been a little bit a part of over the last year or so is, is that really growing. And, and just when you get together with people, you can see the desire for community there. Um, 
And so fellowship, I think, requires more intentionality um, in post-missionary life. I think that's probably probably the best way to put it is that you just you have to be more intentional about it. But I think that there's a lot of potential there because there's a lot of like-minded people. You just have to be more intentional to meet them. Well, yeah, I mean, even to disregard the the post uh, the alumni status, there's there's a hunger for for community, and right. uh, and I uh, was I remember that that uh, that it really impressed me the that it was really wild this the the in this area the um, the the amount the level of community that I that I did find. So I think that that's a that's a credit to, um, to to this to this area. So mm-hmm. then the last the last point or yeah the last tool that we call um, after after all of those is is service. So how do you sort of uh, how do I want to say that? How do you see service as uh, as, as an alum in your life, especially in comparison to all those those other tools of prayer, sacraments, and fellowship? Yeah. So, first of all, service is essential to the Christian life, and I think that. Just like evangelization, I think, is a call of our baptism that we forget sometimes. I think service is right there with it. Um, it's, I think that sometimes there can be a tendency to look at faith as like something I do for myself or a social club of some sort, right? And forget about the fact that we are called to serve all. I mean, we're called to ser- be, be servant to all and to serve the poor. Um, and to be on mission constantly. And so service for me right now, um, I see my job as a ministry. So I I teach high school theology. Um, And so that's a large part of, I think, my mission on a daily basis is is really trying to be as invested as I can um, in those kids' lives. And I think it's, it's a challenge. I think in focus, you know, working with college students, a lot of the barriers are, um, kind of broken down where you can, I think, really be intentional with people in a special way that in high school, there's a lot more barriers there. Um, Just, you know, adult to child and um, just the structure of a school environment just creates, I think, a lot less intentionality, but I think it's a real opportunity. Um, So I also coach baseball. So I love being involved in their lives um, outside of school by coaching baseball as well. And I'd say as well, occasionally, um, when I can do service projects um, around town and stuff, it's one of those things with COVID, you know, it's, it's really killed a lot, of, uh, a lot of opportunities, I think, for things like that, but they're always there. Um, right. So one of the things I think with service, though, um, that anybody can do, um, you know, whether or not you're involved in any service projects or whatnot, right, um, is when you are walking, you know, there's somewhere, most people, there's somewhere where you go and you pass homeless people. Um, And I think that homeless people are a real opportunity to see Christ in the poor. And whether that means buying them a meal, whether that means actually giving them the money, I know there's a lot of, 
you know, people, there's controversy about should you give them money? Should you not? Should you just give them food, right? Whatever you do, love them, pay attention to them, look them in the eyes, treat them like a human being. Um, that's one of the things I'd say I, I try to do on a, you know, on a regular basis, because these are, depending on where you live, you might see them every day, you might see people, um, you know, on the streets once a week, once a month, whatever, right? But I think those are, are really, um, you know, you see that those images sometimes of like, um, it's like a statue of, it looks like a beggar, but then when you look closely, it's really Christ, right? I think that's so true. I think we have to learn to see Christ in the poor. And I think that's at the heart of service. Because if we can't see Christ in the poor, it's gonna be hard to see Christ in our family, to see Christ in our coworkers, to see Christ in our friends. Um, so I think when it comes to service, um, it's that. And really just, I think, um, being involved in your church, right? Looking at what's, what's going on in the church bulletin, what's not going on that you could start. Do they work with Habitat for Humanity? Do they, um, are they involved with a soup kitchen, right? I think some churches are better than that, been better about that than others. But I think it's, it is absolutely essential to the Christian life. And I think it requires a constant, I think, heart check. Because I think it's maybe the easiest one to forget about. And I even just think of, you know, thinking about that question in my own life over the last year, I just think of, the last year or two, I think of, yeah, what more could I be doing? Because I think, um, I think there's always room for growth there. Absolutely. Beautiful. That was fun. Yeah, absolutely. No, I always love, love uh, talking about mission, reminiscing on, yeah. on the old times and also just thinking more about how I can uh, be more on mission now. Because like right. you said, we're, you know, we're still missionaries. Sure. Last, last thoughts um, and um, something, the one, one thing among many that, um, the, that you look forward to experience, to see in 2021. Hmm. One thing I look forward to experience in 2021. Um, I think that I'm really excited to continue teaching, um, continuing to see hopefully 2021, the fall semester can start out a little more normally than the COVID of 2020. Um, and really just trying to try new things in the classroom, um, try more kind of incarnational uh, things with the students, more ways of, of being intentional with them, I think. And then also just seeing what happens with the podcast with Colloquium. Um, I think we're going strong and really enjoying it. So I think just, um, yeah, seeing where that takes us in 2021 will be really, really interesting to see. Great. So how can people find it? So Colloquium Show, you can find it. It's just Colloquium under Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere where you get your podcasts. Um, we have, uh, we're on social media. Colloquium Show is on Instagram and Facebook. Um, but yeah, anywhere you get podcasts, look up Colloquium. Um, it's under my name, Dylan Jedlovec. And uh, always feel free to reach out to us, send us questions, colloquiumshow at gmail.com. Awesome. And Great. Well, thanks so much.